Welcome to Storyberries Radio. You can read along with any of our stories all for free at our website, storyberries.com. Luna and the Bottle of Starlight by Jade Maitre One day, by the side of the road, Luna found a bottle of starlight. It shimmered and glistened in pinpricks of light and whispering glimmers. It was smoky blue and beautiful. Luna leaned over. She wanted to see it more closely. But when she tried to pick up the bottle, it slipped from her fingers and smashed. With a wild giggle, the stars streaked from the glass and escaped into the sky. Luna cried and leapt as she tried to catch the stars. They laughed at her from their places so high in the air. From above, Luna's dancing made her look like an angry little ant. They knew she couldn't reach them, and they were happy to be free, for the stars had been so long in the bottle that the air around them felt cool and wide. They gleamed. It was so nice to be in that vast black universe with space to twinkle and breathe. The bottle lay in shards of dark glass at Luna's feet. She scooped up the pieces of glass and put them in her pocket. She felt a need to hide what she had done. She didn't know who the stars belonged to and if the owner would be angry when they found out what had happened. Perhaps, if she could catch them, she could put them in her pocket. Her glance fell upon a long vine hanging quietly from a nearby tree. Being a thrifty elf, she found it no trouble to fashion a lasso and throw it high into the air. But the lasso was lazy and limp. It plummeted to the ground in a matter of moments. Next, her eyes wandered to a baobab tree. Perhaps if she leapt and caught them in her fingers, she thought. But climbing high into the limbs of the tree, she realised that she was no more airy than the vine had been. Lacking wings, she thumped into the earth like a soggy sack. The stars twittered and the passing birds sniggered mirthfully. The ladybirds rumbled sly little laugh. It felt that nobody would help Luna return the stars and all were having a good joke at her expense. Luna sat on a stump and began to cry. At just that moment, a tiny rabbit poked its head from the bushes and sniffed the air. It had heard Luna's sobbing and wanted to know what was the matter. Why are you crying? the rabbit asked the elf. I found a bottle and accidentally dropped it. All the stars escaped, said Luna tearfully. Ah, but that's no reason to cry, said the rabbit. What good does crying do? Perhaps if I cry enough, I will make a lake and float high enough to catch them, Luna sniffed. The little rabbit leaned back against a leaf. Seems to me that there are just too many, he said. Even if you could reach them, there's just some things you can't do. You can't collect all the grains of sand on a beach. You can't drink all the water in the sea. You will not be able to capture all those stars and put them back, he said. Well, what am I to do, said Luna plaintively. Then a sudden passion overtook her. She stamped her foot. Oh, I wish I could take time back, she said. I wish I had never touched that bottle. But you can't, said the rabbit, now chewing thoughtfully on a clover which he had retrieved from behind his ear. Nothing can be taken back. Once something is, it just is. Like the wind and the sunrise, like love and loss. It just is. You can't help it. You've just got to find a new way. With her hands in her pockets, Luna could feel the sharp shards of glass pressing into her fingers. Well, what am I to do with this bottle? she asked at last. It's all broken. It won't work anymore. 
But the clever rabbit just twitched its nose, nodded goodbye and disappeared into the bushes. Luna was alone. Only those mocking stars glittered above her. Occasionally, and in impulsive fever of boastfulness, they leapt to the earth in a bright streak where they plummeted earthwards, falling into cracks in rocks, lakes, sand and furs. But that is another story. In the present, Luna sat on the mossy ground and took the shards from her pocket. She lay them in the shape of a bottle, but they would no longer take the shape they'd once had. So she began to play with them. Soon she found they could make a skyscraper, a window, a puddle. When she fashioned them into the shape of a mirror, something magical happened. A high, pure note sounded from the glass. Then, from the bushes all around, a small army of snails emerged, their shells shining, and they weaved and slid all over the surface. Their slime was an enchanted kind that glued the pieces together. The bottle was a bottle, but now it was also a mirror. A magical mirror, shining and perfect, with only small cracks to show that it had once been a bottle that held the stars. And when Luna picked it up to look at it, something marvellous happened. She suddenly saw all the stars reflected in it, but close enough that she could touch them. The mirror let her touch the stars. The stars giggled and spun, the heavens revolved, it happened high above and it happened in the magical mirror held in Luna's hands. Something had broken, but something beautiful had happened. The stars were free and the light was everywhere and Luna held the reflection of the entire universe within her hands. The End Thank you for reading with storyberries.com Free stories for kids. Good night, sleep tight, don't let the dragons bite, by Ben Wilkins. Long ago, caught between the waves of the endless sea and the great bay, there was a tall rock masquerading as an island. At the top of this tall rock was a very tall tower, and at the top of this very tall tower was a bedroom with quite tall ceilings. Three royal children slept there at the top of the world. Correction, there at the top of the world, three royal children did not sleep, even though it was past their bedtime. The prince proclaimed himself king of the pirates and sang sea chanties at the top of his lungs, while his older sister, playing the role of the mermaid queen, sang counter melodies to drive the pirates away from her underwater home. The baby thought all this was very funny, so naturally she sang both songs at once. Okay, okay guys, it's time to pirates, no mermaids, pirates, mermaids, goo goo gaga. Quiet down. Quiet! We don't want to sleep. We want to stay up and play forever. If you won't go to sleep, then I'll have to get you-know-what. No, what? The dragons. No, please, please don't call the dragons. We'll go to sleep, we promise. Okay, no more singing now, got it? We won't. Draggle? And with that, the three royal children tried to go to sleep. Truly, they tried their royal best. They shut their eyes, they counted their sheep, but they just couldn't sleep. 
It was the baby who gave up first, bouncing her feet to a rhythm only she could hear. What are you doing, baby? This made the prince laugh, and soon he had joined in, tapping away. Be quiet, I'm trying to sleep, demanded the older princess, who tried to follow the rules, but was secretly pleased by her sibling's antics. It didn't take long after that, I can tell you, for things to get out of hand. There was talking, singing, shouting, jumping on beds, jumping off beds, bouncing off walls, crying, crashing, thrashing, laughing, playing. If anything, it was even louder than before. But I know what you were thinking. What about the dragons? Weren't they afraid that their father and king would call the dragons if they did not go to sleep? Perhaps the children had simply forgotten the dragons, as they had forgotten their promise. But probably they just didn't believe that their sometimes grumpy but overall quite nice and lovable King Dad would ever be so cruel as to turn dragons on them. So why worry? Quiet! Do you want me to call the dragons? You are supposed to be asleep. It's almost my bedtime and I'm the king. The king seemed serious, and so the children, for the moment, were worried. No, please, please, please don't get the dragons. We promise we'll be good. Okay, then go to sleep. Slam. So the royal children tried, really tried, to go to sleep once again. They tried, but not for very long. La la la, I'm singing so loudly, la la la, just hold still, ha ha. That's it, I'm getting the dragons. What? Come on, Daddy, please. Nope, it's too late for that. How could you do this to us? Easily. What kind of daddy would feed his own kids to dragons? A tired one. I'm telling Queen Mommy on you. Go ahead. The children huddled together and listened to their father stomp, stomp, stomp down the long, long staircase that led all the way down that tall, tall tower, down through the throne room, the kitchens, the armory and guard rooms, the sewing room, the larders, the pantries, the treasure rooms and storehouses, and finally into the caves of the mountain, deep below the tower, right down to the sea. He wouldn't really do it, right? No way, he loves us too much, and besides, dragons aren't even real. Dragoo, yay! And yet, real or not, they had heard a distinctly dragonish roar. It filled the whole tower and shook the royal children to their bones. Worse still, two more reptilian bellows came to answer the first, making at least one beast for each of them. Roar, roar, roar! The roaring stopped, and all was quiet. Perhaps their father had only been pretending after all. Whew. No, Dragoo? Clomp, click, clomp, click. But no, now they heard something climbing the stairs. Something with heavy talons clicking and clomping on the stone. And a shimmering, rattling, shinging. That could only be the sound of scales scraping against the wall. Then came the sound of heavy breathing only was less like breathing and more like the rumble, rumble of faraway thunder or the whoosh crackle of a bonfire. The sounds got louder and louder and louder as the dragons came up the stairs, closer and closer and closer, clump, click, shing, scrape, rumble, rumble, whoosh, crack, until they were right outside the door. The oldest princess grabbed her baby sister and all three children rushed to hide under the covers. The door creaked open. Sniff, sniff. Yes, friends, the dragons were quite real after all, and they were sniff, sniff, sniffing at the edges of the bed. Clomp, click, shing, scrape, rumble, rumble, whoosh, crack, sniff, sniff, slurp. 
Dracul! Ha ha ha! Slurp. As it turned out, their father, tired and grumpy though he was, was not the kind of father to send dragons to devour his children. But he was exactly the kind of father, tired and grumpy though he was, to send dragons to cuddle with his children. Good night, my prince, my princesses. Good night, sleep tight, and don't let the dragons bite. But I don't think the royal children hurt him, because they had all fallen fast asleep. After all, there was nothing cozier than snuggling up in the arms and talons of a warm, purring, tail-curling, scaly but still huggable, huffing and puffing friendly dragon. Rumble, rumble, snore, snort. Good night, friends. Sleep tight. Don't let the dragons bite. Thank you for reading with Storyberries.com. Free stories for kids. Colors of the Rainbow by Marlet Schifferall at Harvard College Children's Stories. Jada was Princess of the Mountains. She loved singing, climbing trees, and best of all, chasing rainbows. In fact, Jada loved all the colors in the rainbow. Each one was special in its own unique way, as her mother always sang to her red, orange, and yellow green, blue and purple too, on their own so very mellow, together a beautiful crew. On her 12th birthday, her mum sent her to visit her grandmother Liz. Granny Liz was very old, very wise and lived alone on the very highest peak on the entire mountain. It took a whole day to get to Granny Liz's house, but Jada was determined. Jada climbed and climbed and climbed until finally she saw a small hut. She went inside where her grandmother was waiting for her. Jada, Granny Liz said, take a seat, my child. Do you know why you're here? Jada shook her head. It's a mountain tradition for the princess's grandmother to knit her a garment of clothing on her 12th birthday in her favorite color. My mother did it for your mother and one day your mother will do it for your daughter and so on and so forth. Do you understand? Jada nodded. She had grown up hearing stories about this tradition from her mother and knew this day would someday come. Grandma Liz pointed outside of the window, gesturing to the beautiful green trees surrounding their village. Come spring, all the flowers on our mountain will bloom the chosen colour. Each colour has a special meaning and will determine our village's fortune for years to come. It is supremely important. Jada's eyes widened. I have decided to knit you a skirt this year, Grandma Liz continued. What colour skirt would you like to have, child? Think carefully, for this colour will seal our villagers' fate until the next one is picked. Jada gulped. She knew this decision was important, but there was one small problem. Jada took a deep breath, looked deep inside of herself, and mustered up the courage to ask resolutely, Grandma Liz, how could I possibly pick just one? I love all the colours in the rainbow. Red is fiery and confident, like the perpetual flames of the sun in the sky. It's bold and loud and gives me the courage to speak up and say my truth. Red is the colour of love, luck and passion. When I wear red, I feel like I'm on top of the world. 
Orange makes me feel warm, cozy and comfortable, like I'm basking in the warm sun on a slow summer's day. It makes me think of orange juice for breakfast and the sweet stickiness of a melting orange popsicle in the heat. When I wear orange, I feel like I'm right at home. Yellow is pure, unfiltered, unbridled fun. Yellow makes me think of running through a beautiful field of sunflowers, shouting with joy at the top of my lungs. Yellow makes me want to be a kid forever and ever. When I wear yellow, I feel like I'm the happiest girl in the world. Green reminds me to pause, take a step to breathe and smell the flowers. It makes me more thoughtful and mindful of my surroundings. The earth, nature, everything around us that sustains the beautiful life in this world is green. When I wear green, I become a better person. Blue is calm, elegant and poised. It is quiet but strong, forgiving but firm. Blue is the colour of powerful ocean waves, as well as the serene blue sky that surrounds us every day of our lives. Blue is the colour of life-giving, thirst-quenching water. When I wear blue, I feel in control. Purple gives me wisdom. It is the colour of royalty and nobility of old, embodying the luxurious, ambitious and wealthy. It is a dignified colour, weaved into rich robes, draped over the ancients and imbued in sweet wine and grapes they dined on. When I wear purple, I feel like a true princess. And that is why, Jada finished, I can't possibly choose a favourite colour, Grandma Liz. Grandma Liz sat and thought. Jada, I wish I could help you, she said finally. But tradition is tradition. You can't possibly expect me to throw away 400 years of mountain culture. I'm sorry, Jada. Come back here next week to tell me your favourite colour, or I will be forced to make the choice for you. Jada's eyes welled up with tears as she fled Grandma Liz's hut. This wasn't fair. She knew her grandmother meant well, but how could she be so mean? Grandmother Liz sighed and looked outside over the mountain village as the rain cleared. I'm doing the right thing, aren't I? She muttered, wringing her hands worriedly. All of a sudden, Grandma Liz's eyes widened as she saw it. A rainbow! Grandma Liz gasped. I've been a fool, she cried. This changes everything. One week later, Jada returned to the foot of the highest peak on the mountain. She began her journey solemnly, and as she climbed and climbed and climbed, she thought and thought and thought very carefully. By the time she reached the top, Jada knew what she had to do, but she didn't like it one bit. Grandma Liz, Jada shouted. I've chosen my colour. She opened the door to her grandmother's hut. Come in, child, Grandma Liz's voice said. Grandma Liz, I've chosen... Jada suddenly stopped short. She couldn't believe what she was seeing. Jada, the mountains have spoken to me, Grandma Liz announced. Behold, your skirt, she cried, revealing the most beautiful garment Jada had ever seen. It was gorgeously hand-sewn and adorned with all the colours of the rainbow. It was better than anything Jada could have ever imagined. It was perfect. Thank you, Grandma Liz, Jada sobbed, her eyes filling with tears. She ran to her grandmother and hugged her tightly. This was a moment Jada would never forget. Three months later, sure enough, when spring finally came, all the flowers on the mountain bloomed with every colour of the rainbow. The end. Thank you for reading with storyberries.com. Free stories for kids.
Pembrel Forgets by Steve Tubbs Pembrel was a good boy, but he was always forgetting things. Big things, small things, important things, little things. It didn't matter. He'd forget something, whatever it was, at one time or another. His mother was a patient woman, which was a good thing. Pembrel regularly tested her patience. She learned early on to remind him of everything. Big things, small things, important things, even the little things. Once in a while, the little things that didn't seem important at the time became more important later. Sometimes she thought that Pembrel forgot things on purpose. Things like washing behind his ears, or picking up his toys, or feeding the dog. It bothered her to remind him of these sorts of things. However, for the most part, she knew that his mind just wandered off and it was her job to bring it back, to pay attention and think for a moment about where he was and what he was about to do and why he was doing it. For Pete's sake, Pembrel, she'd often exclaim when he'd forgotten something. Pembrel was never really certain who Pete was or why Pete's name was called upon. But he knew that if he had done something, or more likely not done something, he was in trouble whenever Pete's name was called. And sometimes she'd complain, Pembrel, I swear you'd forget your head if it wasn't connected to your shoulders. Fall weather had arrived. The air was cool and crisp, especially in the morning, even if the skies were brilliant blue and the sun was shining brightly. The light of the morning made wisps of fog come up from the ponds and frost on the grass sparkled before it melted under the sun's steady gaze. The trees were swapping their summer greens for coats of brilliant yellow, orange and red. This was a time when Pembrel's mother cooked things that smelled and tasted really good. He usually never paid much attention to his food and sometimes had to be told not to play with it at the table. But it seemed like he was just hungrier in the fall or something and he liked how the windows steamed up and how the kitchen smells filled up the whole house when his mother was cooking up something good at that time of year. Pembrel's mother was baking something special that day, a carrot cake. It was one of Pembrel's favourites. She said that they needed it for Pembrel's school that night. A cakewalk, she said. But she needed some things from the store and sent Pembrel to get them. I need eggs, sugar and raisins, she said. She gave him a list so he wouldn't forget. He put it in his pants pocket. Here's some money, she went on. Put it in your pocket where you won't lose it. Pembrel pushed the money into his pocket with the list and headed toward the door. Don't forget your coat, his mother said. Don't forget your scarf, she added. And don't forget your hat and gloves, she hollered as he headed to the front door. Pembrel didn't forget any of these things. He went outside and down the street, kicking dry leaves on the sidewalk into the air and breathing in their smell and watching the squirrels play tag. When he got to the store, he picked up a basket and went about shopping. He found the sugar and put it in the basket. It was heavy. He found the raisins and it reminded him of how good the cake would taste. Pleased with himself, he went to the front of the store where he put the sugar and raisins on the counter. The store clerk told him how much they cost and he gave her the money he'd been given. He didn't notice when the list that his mother had given him fell to the floor as he pulled the money from his pocket. He'd forgotten all about the list, 
thinking of the raisins and of the carrot cake. Taking the bag that the grocer gave him, Pembrel slowly made his way home, passing through the park where the leaves were piled deeper and he could make more noise kicking them. He spotted some leaves that were really big and brilliant in their colours and picked them up to give them to his mother. There you are, Pembrel's mother said when he entered the kitchen. I was beginning to be worried. Pembrel put the bag on the counter. He was reaching into his pocket for the change when his mother said, Where are the eggs? Pembrel stopped. His heart pounded. Eggs! He forgot the eggs. He looked at his mother and then at the bag and then said meekly, I'm sorry, Mama, I forgot. His mother was unhappy. You forgot the eggs? What happened to your list? I don't know, Pembrel mumbled. He reached into his pocket, but the list was gone. I must have lost it. For Pete's sake, Pembrel, she said. Then she added, I swear. And Pembrel thought that just then she might, although she never did. What am I going to do with you, she said as she grabbed keys from her purse and hurried out the door. Pembrel climbed the stairs up to his bedroom slowly, his head hanging. He wished he knew why he'd forgotten the eggs. What had happened to the list? He knew that he had disappointed his mother. He didn't get to share his leaves with her. He lay down on his bed where the sunlight was streaming through the window. He felt his head nodding after a bit and he looked out the window. To his surprise, he saw a young boy playing in his yard. The boy was dashing about, kicking up leaves, just as he had earlier that day. Why was he playing in Pembrel's yard? Looking more closely, he realised that the boy was dressed just like he was. And suddenly, he saw in amazement that the boy had no head. Astonished, he jumped up, or he tried to, but he could not. Looking down, he realised he had no body. Only his head was on the pillow on his bed. His body was outside playing. Help, he cried, help! But his lips hardly moved. A low moan barely escaped from his lips. Somehow he'd managed to get up and run outside but had forgotten his head. Concentrating with all his might, he told his body to get back inside. Come here, come here, he thought, with his strongest thoughts. His body ran around in circles, kicking leaves. No, no, come here now! He willed with all his strength. His body hesitated, then stopped. Then slowly, oh so slowly, his body turned and came into the house. He heard it clumping up the stairs to his bedroom. When his body came to bed, he looked at where his head was supposed to be connected, but he got dizzy, and for a moment he couldn't see anything. Then, as if by magic, there he was, sitting up in bed, completely connected. He heard the car door slam, and then the house door, and he ran downstairs. He was just going to share his excitement of what had just happened when he saw the stern look on his mother's face. She was still upset. He forgot all about his story and hung his head again. I'm sorry, Mama, he said again. I don't know what happened. I, I just forgot. I was kicking the leaves and watching the squirrels and... Just then he remembered the colourful leaves that he had gathered and ran over to them. Picking them up, he handed them to her. Here, Mama, he continued. I found these and bought them for you. Pembrel watched as warmth and a smile spread on her face. Oh, Pembrel, she said with a sigh. They're beautiful. She gazed at them for a moment and then said, Come here. He went to her and she gave him a big hug. I swear, Pembrel, what am I going to do with you? Thank you. She paused. They're beautiful, she said again. Come on, help me bake this cake. I'll let you lick the beaters when we're done. And Pembrel did, telling her all about his head and his body, which made her laugh and laugh 
as the kitchen smells began to fill up the house just as it always did. The end. Thank you for reading with storyberries.com. Free stories for kids. Kidnapped to Planet G by Jade Maitre One day, Frogmore Frederick Suctionopolis XV landed from Planet G. He strode up the driveway and banged on Archie's window. Archie was sleeping. The noise woke him up. He pulled the curtains aside and bleary-eyed saw the space rocket parked on the front lawn. It was glistening with moon dust and squished bits of asteroid. Frogmore Frederick Suctionopolis XV, standing at the window on the ledge, took off his space helmet and blinked his eyes. He looked almost exactly like a frog, so much so that Archie would have thought he was a frog if it wasn't for the fact that he had just come out of a rocket wearing a space helmet and his rocket had bits of asteroids squished on it. Archie Connor, he intoned, of 7 Everson Lane, Small Town. I am here to kidnap you. Kidnap me, Archie exclaimed. Why? I need you to help save my planet from destruction. And the journey is long, Frogmore Frederick said. You're in your pyjamas, yes? And you will need to sleep on the rocket. That is napping, is it not? And you are a kid, is this correct? So I will kidnap you now. And when you wake up, we will be on planet G and you will help me save it from destruction. This was not quite what Archie understood by kidnapping, but he'd always wanted to visit another planet. And of course, he didn't want Frogmore Frederick's planet to be destroyed. So he agreed to do it. He climbed out the window, still in his pyjamas, and stood beside the frog on the lawn. And although the frog was only a few centimetres high, barely the size of a drinking cup, he found that the rocket was big enough for Archie to walk up three stairs and seat himself inside, in a slick silver pod with a shining seatbelt. It was a beautiful rocket. The walls were made of plasma and there were lights all over it like a video game. Frogmore Frederick Suctionopolis XV watched Archie put his seatbelt on and made sure it was attached properly. Then he put on his navigator sunglasses and gave a short nod. Now it is time to nap, he said to Archie. When you wake up, we will be one billion trillion light years away. Archie wasn't at all sleepy, but one billion trillion light years is a long way. He somehow found himself asleep before too long at all. And when he woke up, he and Frogmore Frederick were on Planet G. Planet G was a funny little planet. They had landed on a kind of beach. There were purple trees and giant black and white fish in the water that periodically leapt up from the surf and tried to nip at what looked like lots of tiny insects on the surface of the swell. Archie leaned down and saw that they were teeny tiny surfers. Our planet has lots of microwaves, said Frogmore Frederick Suctionopolis the 15th haughtily. That's what you say when the waves are very tiny, yes? These tiny surfers surf on them. And then the piano tuners tried to eat them. Archie could only nod. He supposed it made sense. Frogmore Frederick blinked his toady eyes. Now, I will dress you in appropriate clothing, he said. He blinked once more. Archie looked down. His feet were now wearing slippers that looked like giant bear paws. Everyone wears bare feet on the beach, do they not? said Frogmore Frederick. Archie supposed they did. Would you like a soft drink? asked Frederick Frogmore then. Archie had been sleeping quite a while and he did feel quite thirsty, so he nodded. 
Frogmore Frederick reached into his bag and pulled out a can, but the aluminium melted and he couldn't hold it. It was a bit too soft. And how about an egg roll? Archie tried to take it, but it rolled away too fast. Frogmore Frederick didn't notice, though, because he was already striding to a shiny red sports car that was parked under a tree. Come with me, he said impatiently. We've got an investigator waiting to meet you. An investigator? asked Archie in awe. He'd never met a real detective. The car door opened, and as Archie climbed in, Frogmore Frederick said, Watch the car, pet. A giant fluffy pet poked its head out from under the car seat and snapped at him. Archie jumped. Then he looked closer. It was actually a kind of cute panda. You can pet him, said Frogmore Frederick. So Archie tried, but the panda made a squealing sound and clambered to the back seat where it sat. Frogmore Frederick sighed. It's pandemonium. I wish I never bought a car pet at all. The car started up and soon it was zooming. They went over crazy hills and past fluorescent towns. Frogmore Frederick pointed out the car parks where racing cars and pickup trucks sprouted like flowers and the ponds were made of oil. Giant round creatures flew between the cars. Baseball bats, said Frogmore Frederick. And I'd love to show you a rock band while you're here, but we really won't have time. They zoomed past a pile of rocks and some musical instruments, but it really didn't seem too exciting to Archie. At last they reached their destination. A crocodile wearing a trench coat strolled out holding a clipboard. He was just about to shake hands with Archie when Frogmore Frederick suddenly yelled out, Duck! Everyone ducked. But it was just a yellow duck approaching, wearing a scientist's lab coat. Ah, Quackerjack, said the investigator. You've come to join us. Here's the human boy I've been telling you about. Quackerjack seemed pleased to meet Archie. He shook his hand. I'm glad you could come, said the duck. You see, we've been studying planet Earth for a long time now and trying to be just like you. I think you would agree it's been a great success. Just look at this place. We've got tow trucks, screwdrivers, cool beans, unicorns, sweet potatoes. Absolutely everything has received the seal of approval. It's very nice, said Archie, but why do you need me? It all seems to be working very well. The investigator, Quackerjack and Frogmore Frederick suddenly all looked suspicious. It does look nice, said Quackerjack. We've been working hard to make it just like planet Earth. But for our next creation, we're concerned. We heard that on your planet, the essential thing for human happiness was to instigate some random acts of kindness. Ah, uh, said Archie. But before he could say anything, the investigator said hurriedly, We've made the axe. It's a very good axe. It is very shiny and very bright. It's the best axe you've ever seen. But we don't see how a random axe could help anyone. Frogmore Frederick added worriedly, It is an axe, so it is sharp, and it's for cutting things, yes? But what will the people be cutting with this random axe? If we release the random axe of kindness onto our populace, will they destroy one another with it? Archie couldn't help it. He laughed. It's acts, he told them. You have to be kind to one another. It's really a very simple thing. An axe is for cutting, but an act is when you do something. It just means doing a nice thing for someone for no reason. The more that everyone does nice things for other people for no reason, the happier everyone is. It's about positivity. Positivity? The investigator asked. Do you drink it with milk, hot or cold? No, chuckled Archie. Positivity. Just being happy and nice. It's not too hard. You don't have to worry about making things or being like planet Earth. Just be yourselves. Be nice to one another. You don't need the help of anyone for that. The nicer you are to people, the nicer they'll be to you. Frogmore Frederick, the investigator, and Quackerjack nodded happily. 
We see, they cried, it's so simple, said Frogmore Frederick. You are a superhero, cried Quackerjack. I really have to tell you, said the investigator, as they walked Archie back to the car. I really am your biggest fan. What would you like to do here before you go? There are still 40 minutes till Earth morning, as even though it's billions of light years away, we'll be going backwards in time when we zoom home. In that case, I'd love to fly that, said Archie. He pointed to a crazy-looking aeroplane with a sail jutting out from the side. Ah, plane sailing, said the investigator. By all means. They jumped in together and did a whole lot of zooming and whirly gigs. When Archie was done, it was time for him to get back in the rocket. His new friends waved him fondly goodbye as Frogmore Frederick checked his seatbelt again. Soon they would be soaring back out of the atmosphere and into the deep chasms of space, homeward bound. But first, Archie gazed out at Planet G on the cusp of learning about random acts of kindness and saw something very special, the beautiful planet below. It was like a picture. And he had goosebumps. The end. Thank you for reading with storyberries.com. Free stories for kids. Jungle Brew by Tanya Luther Agarwal at Storyweaver In a little hilly hamlet of southern India lived a young girl called Bubuli. She lived in a hut with her mother. Her house was surrounded by the tallest and greenest trees you would ever have seen. On misty days, the leaves of plants and trees held the biggest dewdrops you could imagine. Bubuli was as sprightly as her name. She, along with her friends, would prance through endless forests around her village. She loved to take in deep breaths every morning as the air carried all kinds of different aromas. Sometimes she could smell a sweet, sweet fragrance. At other times it was a strong and sharp scent. Then there were days when all she could smell was a familiar bouquet. Waking up to those refreshing scents was the best way for Bubuli to begin her day. Then there was Totoram the parrot, who would fly into the village every morning, perch himself atop a tree facing Bubuli's hut and tell her of the entire buzz of the forest. He would also tell her of his flights to different lands and the people who lived there. Bulbuli loved to hear Totoram's tales. She longed to visit these lands and see their different sights. Her heart would race and thump loudly as Totoram would speak, but it would always end with a deep sigh. She had to stop dreaming of faraway lands when she had never even been to Senseless Point. Everybody in the village talked of Senseless Point. A few people from the neighbouring villages had been there, but no one from her own village. From all the talk around, it seemed like a mysterious place promising an experience of a lifetime. Bulbuli believed that if she ever had the chance to go to Senseless Point, she would return to her hamlet and describe it to everyone she would tell everyone about this mysterious place. On this particular morning, Bubuli waited for Totoram's whistle. She fed the hens and collected their eggs. Next, she fed the cows and then milked them. All the while, she paused from time to time to listen to Totoram's call. Tired of waiting, she left for her school. All her students in her school sat under a huge banyan tree. 
Bulbuli could hardly pay attention to what was being taught. Her eyes searched for Totoram, who had never missed visiting her, ever since the time they became friends. Several days passed, and Bulbuli grew more and more concerned about Totoram. She worried that Totoram might be hurt. She had no way of knowing if he was safe. Bulbuli grew more despondent with each day. After school, she would walk through the forests, calling out to Totoram. Hello? Are you here somewhere, Totoram? She would yell, cupping her mouth with her hands. But there was no response. Then one very early morning, even before the sun had risen, she heard a very noisy and distressed bird call. She leapt out of bed and rushed out to look. It was Totoram. Bulbuli, wake up! I need to talk to you. Bulbuli stretched out her arm so that Totoram could perch on it. Where have you been, Totoram? I have been so worried about you. What is the matter? You seem very upset. There is trouble at Senseless Point. War has broken out in the forest. Calm down, Totoram, or you will wake the entire village. What kind of trouble are you talking about? And who is at war? asked a puzzled Bubuli. The jungle. Oops, sorry, Bubuli. I do need to stop screaming. The jungles are at war. Senseless Point is not what it used to be. All the animals are frightened. They do not know what is going to happen next. Bubuli, we have to think of something, cried Totoram anxiously. I still do not understand. How can jungles be at war? Why don't you take me to Senseless Point, said Bubuli. Totoram grew even more agitated. Senseless Point is two sunrises and two dusks away. Your small feet will not be able to carry you there. My mind is bigger than my feet, Totoram. Don't let the size of my feet fool you. I'm not afraid to do difficult things. Besides, the least I can do is try. The journey is long and hard, Bubuli. I'm not sure, mused Totoram. Well, I cannot think of any other way to help. You must take me to Senseless Point, pleaded Bubuli. Totoram thought for a long time. Reluctantly, he agreed. All right then, but we must leave immediately, he said. Just then, Bubuli realised that she could not leave without telling her mother. Totoram suggested that they stop on the way to get Koyal, his friend, to tell her mother first thing in the morning. Hurry now, we must not lose any time, Totoram urged. So off they went. Totoram flew just above Bubuli's head and led the way. Bubuli walked and walked for several hours. She was not unused to walking through thickets and tall grass, but then she grew hungry and tired. Totoram could see that she needed to eat and drink. Just a little longer, Bubuli. There are coconut trees ahead, said Totoram. When they reached the coconut plantations, Totoram let out a shrill whistle. Whee! From nowhere swung a frisky monkey. He was so full of beans that Totoram had to chide him. Come down, Bandaroo. I have work for you. Stop prancing around. All right, Totoram, what is it? asked Bandaroo. Pluck a couple of coconuts and toss them below. My friend Bubuli here is hungry, informed Totoram. Bandaroo obliged. He threw down three green coconuts. They split open as they crashed to the ground. Bubuli hungrily reached out for them and scooped out the creamy kernel. She ate quickly when all the while Bandaroo squealed with delight from the tree above. Thanks, Bandaroo. That was filling, said Bubuli. Call me any time, folks. I'm the best thrower in the jungle, said Bandaroo chirpily. Totoram and Bubuli carried on with their journey. After several hours, Bubuli grew weary and exhausted. However, she was not going to give up. She had an opportunity of a lifetime here. 
A visit to Senseless Point for people around her village was like a pilgrimage. Each time that she felt fatigued, Bubuli tried to picture Senseless Point in her mind. She imagined a beautiful place that could fill people's hearts with happiness. That scene in her mind was enough to make her forget how footsore she was. The first dusk of their journey set in. Another day to go, thought Bubuli. Bubuli rested under a tree, while Totoram found a comfortable spot on a branch above. Soon it was dawn. Bubuli was awakened by the chattering of what seemed like a million birds in the jungle. Bubuli took several big breaths and stretched her arms out to wake up her body. The morning felt different. She could smell all the familiar scents that she used to every morning, but somehow they were stronger and more refreshing. Totoram, can you smell the freshness in the air? I love it, she told the parrot. You have all day to take your whiffs. Let us get moving, ordered Totoram. Totoram and she talked little the next day. He could see that Babuli was tired, hungry and thirsty. Totoram flew down to perch on her shoulder. There is a stream nearby. We'll rest there for a while. In a little while, Bubuli heard the sound of rushing water. In no time at all, they arrived at the stream. The clear water glistened in the sunlight. The water seemed to be racing with itself to get somewhere. It was a beautiful sight. Bubuli leaned over and cupped the water in her hands and drank all that she could. She splashed water on her face and refreshed herself. Just as she was done, Totoram landed on her shoulder once again and nudged her to stretch out her palms. He then dropped red, delicious berries in them. Oh, Totoram, you are the nicest friend I know. Thank you so much, smiled Bubuli. Go ahead and eat them. Berries are my favourite food. I've already eaten too many today, gushed Totoram. They rested a while and then set out once again. Bubuli walked and walked while Totoram flew just above her, talking to her all the while. After several hours, Bubuli sat down. I need to rest, Totoram. I'm really very exhausted. Totoram let out a loud whistle. Within minutes, an elephant strolled up to them. Totoram introduced Hathi to Bubuli and told him of their journey to Senseless Point. I believe only a human can help the war in the jungle. Animals are running away from what is paradise for us, said a concerned Hathi. Will you give Bubuli a ride, Hathi? asked Totoram. Her will is strong, but her strength is failing. Of course. Climb up, little girl, but I can only take you up to the trail. After that, you're on your own. I cannot be away from my group for long, said Hathi. Bubuli was relieved. Her small legs needed rest, and she was able to get a spectacular view of the jungle from atop Hathi's back. Hathi, like Totoram, had many tales to tell. The day passed easily. At dusk, the trio settled by a cave. Totoram and Hathi gathered dried leaves and straw and made a bed for Bubuli. As soon as Bubuli lay down, she dozed off. At the third sunrise, Totoram did not have to wake Bubuli. She was up at the crack of dawn. Totoram brought her some purple berries this time, which she ate with delight. The young girl, the parrot and the elephant began the last leg of their journey. Bubuli was becoming more uncertain of what to expect. First, there was the anticipation of senseless point. Then there was the uneasiness of the jungles at war. As she was getting closer to her destination, her heart began to fill with thrill and excitement, but with a tinge of apprehension. Shortly, Hathi stopped. He said, it is my time for me to say goodbye. I must return to my family. 
All the animals would be grateful to you if you could help end the war of the jungles. We cannot bear to live anywhere else. These jungles have been our home for generations. Bubuli thanked Hathi for carrying her as far as he did. I hope the jungles hear me out, Hathi. I promise to do my best. Totoram sat on Bubuli's shoulder and asked her to slow down. Look at that trail going downward. That will lead us to Senseless Point, instructed Totoram. At this point, a strange humming sound enveloped the jungle. As they walked further, the noise grew louder and louder. Where is that noise coming from? asked Bubuli, covering her ears. That is the sound of three jungles at war, and it is only going to get louder as we approach Senseless Point, hollered Totoram. Bubuli could barely believe what was going on. Never before had she encountered such a scene. As she climbed down the trail and looked around, she saw nothing out of the ordinary, but the clamour was ear-splitting. Totoram pecked at her ear to get her attention. With the shrieks of the jungles, Bubuli could hardly hear Totoram. Within three more steps, Bubuli found herself amidst a clearing. It was as if all the trees of the jungle had suddenly disappeared. There were hillocks stretching as far as her eyes could see. This is Senseless Point. This is a place where everything grows wild. Humans hardly ever come here, said Totoram. Then he began screaming, A human being is here! A human being! But in the deafening din of the jungles, his voice went unheard. Bubuli could not get herself to remove her hands from her ears. She could not understand what the jungles were saying, but by now it was clear that there were three jungles involved. In the distance, just in front of her, she could see green beds. On her right were hundreds and hundreds of shrubs with magenta flowers. On her left, she could see very tall plants. The sight before her was breathtaking, and the aroma was stunning. Bulbuli's face lit up with wonder. She turned towards each jungle several times over to take in the splendour. Almost instantly, the noise of the jungles began to die down, as if the jungles had spotted her. That was when Bubuli took her first deep breath. She could smell the aroma of tea. Then in the next breath, she was drawn to the fragrance on her right. It was a spicy fragrance, something she was familiar with. Unsure, she breathed in some more and then said to herself, Ah, Elaichi! A gentle breeze pushed her to her left. Her head turned and she smiled when she took in her next breath. It was an attractive and pure smell. Instantly, she recognised the plant. Bubuli joined her hands and bowed with reverence. You are Tulsi! Bubuli was overwhelmed by the fragrances. They smelled like three octaves of the same musical note. Sa, sa, sa. Bubuli felt joyful. She stretched her arms and twirled around with her eyes closed. The fragrances and the musical notes played in her head over and over again. All her senses were alive. This was a magical moment for her. Never before had she felt so delighted. Just then, the Elaichi plant spoke. Maybe this little girl could punish the tea bushes. Maybe. Little girl, can you stop the tea bushes from stealing our fragrance? Asked a Tulsi plant. Bulbuli was stunned to hear the jungle speak to her. Before she could respond, a tea bush spoke up. Maybe if these two were not around, humans might be able to appreciate our aroma. Is that what this war is all about? Worrying about your smells getting stolen? Asked a puzzled Bubuli. She smiled to herself. Do you have any idea what you all smell like from where I stand? I can smell each of you distinctly. It really is not our fault, 
We are not fragrance thieves. Our leaves take on the smell of anything that grows around us. In fact, with Tulsi and Alaichi all around us, we have to work extra hard to keep our identity. It is not as if the Tulsi jungle and the Alaichi jungle have lost their perfume to me. You just said that you can smell their individual whiff, said a tea bush. Bubuli took several deep breaths to calm down. She discovered that every time she took in a collected breath of tea, Elaichi and Tulsi, it helped her relax. There was something very soothing about the three of them together. My mother has taught me important things from the Vedas. Do you know what they have to say? asked Bubuli. The sun should be a giver of happiness, the sky should be a giver of happiness, and all trees and plants should be givers of happiness. All these should give us peace of mind. Do you think you're doing that? The jungles fell silent. They were listening to Bubuli. Bubuli had an idea. She whispered something to Totoram. He flew off from her shoulder almost immediately. A Tulsi plant spoke. The Elaichi and Tulsi grow wild. We have no control over where and how we grow, and neither do we tell the wind which way to blow. Bubuli thought for a moment. In that case, how can you blame the tea? Maybe you ought to blame the wind. The wind? Tulsi and Elaichi fired constantly with the wind too. They do not want the wind to take their perfume out of here, said a tea bush. Bubuli was aghast. Is that true? she asked. Neither of the two guilty jungles replied. Bubuli sighed deeply. Just then, Totoram returned. He carried a few Tulsi leaves, some Elaichi seeds and tea leaves in his beak and placed them on Bubuli's palm. Bubuli gently rubbed them together. She raised her palm to smell them. She let out a loud, delighted shriek. The jungle screamed back in unison. What is the matter, little girl? Are you all right? Bubuli laughed with joy. You can now wave the white flag for peace. I have a bit of all three of you in my hand, and together you smell like nothing else in the world. One whiff of all of you together is so relaxing. Totoram whispered in Bubuli's ear. She smiled. Totoram tells me that the animals in the jungle have known just which leaf to eat when they are unwell. Even the birds have eaten your fruit and leaves together to know how quickly you can make them better again. Did you jungles even know that? asked Bubuli. These animals eat your leaves to relieve all kinds of sickness. They even come here to Senseless Point to rejuvenate themselves. Totoram, get me a bunch of tea, a lychee and tulsi. I'm going back home to brew a warm cup of tea with Tulsi and Elaichi for my mother. Celebrate, jungles. The world is going to know how well you taste together, which means that you have to get on well with each other. Can you do that? asked Bubuli. Bubuli and Totoram giggled. So did the jungles. This time the noise level rose not because of the fighting but with laughter. Bubuli was relieved to see the war coming to an end. She realised that the jungles had each been able to feel pride in their uniqueness. Bubuli asked Totoram to collect bunches of tea, tulsi leaves along with the seeds. Jungles, I'm now going to return to my village with the most exquisite and refreshing tea, one with tulsi and a lychee, and I promise to return with people from my village to introduce them to Senseless Point, the most refreshing place on earth. That is how tulsi and a lychee flavoured tea was discovered. Have you tried it yet? The End Thank you for reading with storyberries.com. Free stories for kids.